0: Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven, and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows... Then I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it? That we have kept his charge and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts. So now we call the arrogant blessed. Not only are the doers of wickedness built up, but also they test God and escape. Lord, your words are clear. The teaching is plain and simple. It's our hearts that make it hard to understand. It's our hearts, Father, that make it difficult to hear. And so I pray, Father, even as we sang this morning, that we would be both sweetly broken and wholly surrendered. In faith, in trust, and in love. Holy Spirit, be our teacher, we ask. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. So Paul conclude, concluded 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 15. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Let me say that again. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. I heard that phrase I uttered three Christmases in a row when I was youth pastoring down in Southern California. For three years in a row, our senior pastor chose that verse as the verse that he would teach his, his Christmas Eve sermon from. The sermon was very similar all three years in a row. The first year, I was intrigued. The second year, a bit bored. The third year, I started to understand. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. The birth of Christ into this world was perhaps the most simple, unpretentious, humble, and unadorned birth in all of history. His cradle, a manger full of hay. His first outfit, swaddling clothes. The same type of strips of linen used to wrap newborn lambs so they would not hurt themselves. His nightlight was the stars. There were no attendants. There were no doctors. There were no nurses, no midwives. Just Mary, with Joseph perhaps nervously pacing nearby. His first visitors were a few unrelated shepherds from the fields. He didn't even have a baby shower until a couple of years later, and then the people who came were interesting. Three magi, or at least we think three because there were three gifts, may have been more. But Magi bearing gifts from the East show up in Bethlehem. What an interesting birth for a child. But it was so simple. And yet, the greatest gift ever given. Bar none. What do we need to follow Jesus? Do we need sound systems? Do we need church buildings? Do we need ties? Do we need... What do we need to follow Jesus truly? And the answer is very little. There's a beautiful simplicity in the way God calls His church to follow Him. And all we really need truly are His Word and His Spirit. If we have these two things, we have all we need. For life and for godliness... As for the rest, all the other things that take up 99.9% of our lives, Jesus said, do not worry. Saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek after these things, for your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Matthew six thirty one through thirty three. The question is, will we take him at his word? The true question is, and this is convicting for me. I hope it is for you. Is do we really believe that, or was Jesus just blowing smoke? When he said, "Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness," God will take care of these other things. If we believe that, why do we strive so hard? after all these other things. Will we take Jesus at His word? In my experience, nowhere is the simple notion of following Jesus more complicated or more confused than in the handling of money, both personally and corporately in the church. And I've seen this in churches now throughout my life. Yet Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.17 We are not like the many peddling the Word of God but as from sincerity, as from God we speak in Christ in the sight of God. We're not even selling the Scripture. We're not even out there peddling salvation. We're just sharing the truth of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We're just here to tell people about the greatest gift the indescribable gift of Jesus come into this world. Jesus himself was raised in a blue-collar home. His father, Joseph, was a poor carpenter. Jesus then became an itinerant rabbi with no place to rest his head. And yet he rocked the stage of history. He changed everything. For the believer and the non-believer alike, this is a different world because 2,000 years ago, a simple rabbi named Yeshua walked the fields of Nazareth. His feet on the shores of the Galilee and the Galilee itself. Because Jesus showed up, everything changed. And yet, what did He own? What did He have? What did He leave in terms of prosperity and and finances, giftings? He left a salvation. If you've got a Bible... And if you have the Holy Spirit of the living God, you are already a force to be reckoned with in this world. And you need very little else to do what you have been created to do. And that is to worship God and to tell people about Him. And it really is that simple. You know, when, when, when sound systems get all wonky, yeah, it's frustrating as a musician. But I'll tell you what, as a pastor, I could really care less. We could turn it off and go a cappella, That would be fine. Because we don't need it to worship God. It's all about the heart. But let's think about the church for a moment. When it comes to finances and money. And we're going to talk about finances and money today. It's Money Sunday. Welcome to it. Last week was Marriage Sunday. And I realize, by the way, that last week was very difficult for some to hear. I don't apologize, but I do understand and I hope you heard the compassionate heart of the Lord speaking grace and speaking love and speaking forgiveness and saying let's start from here and go forward and leave what is past, past. And the same for today. It's interesting because money and marriage marriage and money marriage is a difficult topic because we've messed ours up so much all of us have in one way or another none of us have had perfect marriages we all have things we wish we could change we wish we were different. But when it comes to money, it's interesting. It's not as an emotional topic, perhaps as marriage. It's not going to what we talk about this morning is not going to wound anybody. But it is a tough one to be taken literally. And I guarantee, while you may not be hurt or, or sorrowful in what you hear this morning, there will be some who walk out of here going, "I don't agree." I don't agree. And that's your prerogative. But I would ask you to ask yourself the question, why don't you? Not agree with me. I've been praying all week, Lord, get me out of the way and let your word speak truth to us. But ask yourself why you would be defensive against what God has to say in the handling of money. And have that conversation. Be willing Be gutsy enough to have the conversation with God. Why is this bugging me? If in fact it does bother you. David Levy wrote in his commentary on Malachi, he said, Nowhere does Scripture teach that God's work is to be supported by unbelievers, by gimmicks, by church raffles, by rummage sales, by bake sales, by car washes, coercion by church leaders... (laughs) or stewardship campaigns these kinds of fundraising seem inconsistent with the grace giving principles of the word of God you want the New Testament example of how it's supposed to work how a a fellowship is supposed to function Acts chapter 4 verse 32 says the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul and not one claimed that anything belonging to him was his own But all things were common property to them. Oh, that sounds like communism. Oh, this way preceded communism. (laughs) Acts 4.34 says, For there was not a needy person among them all. Are there needy people in the bridge? And if so, why? There was not a needy person among them all. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet and they would be distributed to each as any had need. So this morning, (laughs) Glenn's going to be in the back with a table and we're just going to start taking, you know, mortgages, whatever you'd like to give. But that's the way they did it. And there was something marvelous in the first century church, I think a recognition of the imminence of Christ's return that made them really care less about what they had on earth. And though it's been 2,000 years, I believe the Lord still calls us to live that way. Not to care so much about the things of earth, but to start to care about the things of heaven. And to use the things of earth, whatever we have, to benefit the kingdom rather than ourselves. Now, when it comes to the church and finances, we made several promises to the Lord when He first started the Bridge Fellowship. There were several just financial principles right from the beginning. We didn't have any basis for these other than Scripture, other than just praying about it. But let me just give you four things. There, there were others, but four specific things I'd like you to know that we jotted down. I went back and looked at some old notes from 11 years ago. Number one, we said we will tithe off the tithes and offerings. That is, the first 10% of whatever comes into the church is going to go out. Not for us, not for any ministry of this fellowship, but for missions out beyond us. And so the very first offering we took in the living room of Barb and Rod Gilmore, we took 10% out of that and it went to missions. We didn't even know where to give it at that point. We were looking around. You know, someone would walk by. Are you a missionary? we got money for you. (laughs) The first 10%, now it's 20%. We, we increase that. We want to keep increasing that. But right now, 20% of everything that comes into this fellowship, 20% goes out. First fruits. And our intention is the first 20% goes and doesn't sit in a bank account. Gathering interest that benefits the church. We just want it out. Given to the work of the Lord outside of us. Secondly, I said, Lord, I don't want to teach about money. And he said, well, I teach about money. And I said, okay, I will teach about money when you teach about money. In other words, when it comes up in the Scripture, that's when I'll address it. Malachi chapter 3 for this morning. (laughs) The third thing. We determined that the leadership, pastors, shepherds, Ministry staff would not know or seek to know what anybody gave. Because that's between you and the Lord. And so you can know this morning, I don't have a clue. What you give? And by the way, you can't tell what a person gives by looking at them. I've known very wealthy people who gave nothing, and I've known very poor people who gave a ton more than we might even think they should have. So I don't know. And it's a nice thing not to know because then I can just teach the Word without trying to either get those who have a lot to give more or those who have a little. to You know, I don't have to even think about that. And the fourth thing, and this is important to note, is that we would not accept designated giving. Designated giving. I want my 150 bucks to go to a sound system for the youth group. I'd like to give $200 to this ministry or that ministry or the other. Why don't we accept designated giving? We'll talk about that this morning. There was one exception we made to this rule over the years, just one. We opened up a building fund. And we prayed about that, struggled with it, and made that decision because we recognized that it will not only benefit the whole church, but it would benefit the work the ministry of the church. So we accepted that. We said, okay. And it came up because someone from eastern Washington sent a check for $25,000 for the building fund. And we're like, we don't accept designated giving. But if we don't, then we dishonor the person who anonymously sent it for that purpose. And so we said, all right, we will do this now. We set aside a building fund, and we allowed, and we I think mentioned it in here, we said, if you'd like to just give to the building fund, you can do that. As of December 1st, the building fund is closed, it's collapsed, it's done. There is no more building fund. We're back to simple, designated giving. Why? One issue. Faith. Giving is about faith it's not about deciding where it's going to go it's not about having leverage so that you can steer the church the direction that you would like I know none of you would do that but I've been in churches where that happened where the big givers came forward and said we don't like this and you either change it or we're going to take our tithe and go somewhere else thankfully my senior pastor at the time said let me give you a laminated map of all the churches in town (laughs) Giving is not about holding on; it is about letting go. And by the way, I just need to address this. I don't know who did this. I don't want to know who did this, but beloved, the offering boxes that are in the back are not complaint boxes. Do not. Now let me be. Let me be very serious because I was angry. I was angry. Somebody dropped a note in one of the boxes with a complaint on it. And I was angry. Why would Rick be angry about that? I don't mind your complaints. Hey, if you got a complaint, bring it to me. I can handle that. I was angry because in my mind, when we drop money into those, those boxes are for worship. And it was a violation of worship. Our giving is unto the Lord. And those boxes are not to say what you like or don't like about what's going on. I got over it. But the issue is faith. The issue is faith. I cannot say that enough when we talk about giving, when we talk about tithing. If faith is not at the core of what we give to the Lord, then we are giving for the wrong reason. If you are a faithful tither, but you're doing it for legalistic purposes, you are giving for the wrong reason. If you give very little or nothing at all, because you got certain issues with different things, then you are in the wrong place. The issue behind giving, the reason why God calls on people to give is God would increase and develop our faith. Anything else confuses the whole process. The Lord doesn't need the big check, and He doesn't need the widow's might, but He does celebrate when both are given. There are those who say, well, the widow who gave her two cents really couldn't have afforded to," and if someone's in that position, they really shouldn't do that. I think God honors it. I could just talk for a while we should get back to the scripture the Lord's approach to money is as simple as his birth was it's all about developing faith what did Joseph and Mary know what did they really know that an angel had appeared that much at least appeared to Mary appeared to Joseph in a dream so he had to have even more faith he had to wake up and say that was more than a dream And I'm going to trust not only what I believe I saw in this dream, but I'm going to have to trust my betrothed that she really did see an angel, and this is a legitimate thing, and off they go. And we look at Mary and Joseph, and some might say, what a show of faith. It was actually quite simple. She was pregnant. What was she going to do about it? And they went and they had that child. They just believed their God. That's what we're talking about this morning. I I start in verse 7 because I believe the entire context of God talking about tithes and offerings in Israel begins in verse 7. The entire context is a response to a question that God knew was in the hearts and minds of the people in verse 7. From the days of your fathers you've turned aside from my statutes, you have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? That's the question. How shall we return to you? And from that question, God launches into the most powerful teaching on tithing in the Scriptures. So understand that, that returning to God, that repentance... Involved for the people of Judah the Lord saying well you can start by tithing you can start by giving again you see the people had strayed so far from the Lord they weren't sure how to get back they didn't know what they were supposed to do to get from where they were in their disobedience back into that place of obedience and so God made it easy how can we return and he starts to talk about tithing and offering he turns to something they could start doing immediately that would encourage and affect their return. They could tithe. I call that practical repentance. Because you see, and we talked about this Wednesday night, repentance is practical. Repentance is not something that just kind of happens in the heart. and Ooh, You know, there's this spiritual floaty feeling, and you, you know you've repented. No, if you've repented in your heart, there is change in your life. If you make a spiritual decision, there is a physical result of that decision. If you say, Lord, I am returning to you, it should show up in what you do. If you say, I return, and then you don't do anything different, you didn't repent. Plain and simple. Practical repentance. John the Baptist said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Matthew chapter 3, verse 8. Great line. Our repentance should be fruitful. Our repentance should be should be seen in what we do. So wait, Rick, are you saying that if I repent, that I'm going to immediately start tithing? No. What I'm saying is that Jesus said, Matthew 6.21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And tithes and offerings are a heart thing. They're not a wallet thing. They're a heart issue. Repentance itself is an issue of the heart. And when the heart changes, so goes the body. So goes the mind. So goes the attitude. If there's a change of heart, that changes everything. And our behavior and our lives follow suit. And the Lord here, in responding to their question, how shall we return? He's not trying to balance a heavenly budget. God desires to restore broken hearts, and He knows what makes our hearts tick. So when the people ask, how can we return? The Lord gives an immediately practical answer, verse 8. He says, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. And this is the third serious area of the practical teaching of Malachi. He starts off with the crooked ministry, the crooked priesthood. Remember that. We talked about that on a Wednesday a couple of weeks back. And then he goes into the corruption of marriage. Crooked ministry, corrupt marriage. The messengers called those two out plain and clear, plain and simple. Here's the truth about these things. And now we come around to the third issue. And that is the coveting of money. In this verse, verse 8, there are three words you need to understand clearly as we go forward. The first word is rob. You have robbed me, the Lord says. In the Hebrew, it's kabah. And kabah means to defraud, to steal from, and to exploit. And I think we need to understand that intentionally or not, the people were doing this by withholding their tithes and offerings. By redirecting, if you will. Their tithes and their offerings. Offerings. The word offerings is tarumah. An offering is a gift of any amount. That's the generic word. And we use that word. We say, you know, if you want to put your offerings in the the boxes in the back, you can do that. And it's just a generic for anything you want to give, that's that's the word for it. Tithe is a very specific word. It's ma'asar. Ma'asar in the Hebrew. And it means a tenth or a tenth Part. the word tithe our our English word tithe comes from an old English word meaning ten so to tithe is to give ten percent if you give nine percent you're not tithing you're offering tithing is ten percent and with the Lord understand this with the Lord it is not either or it's both and he invites his people to offerings and tithing both. Rick, this is Old Testament. We'll get to that. Personally, just so you know right up front, I advocate tithing. I believe that it is a great biblical principle. I don't believe in it as a measure of someone's work. I don't look at it legalistically, but I do think tithing is a great place to start in response to His grace. Some someone might ask, well, can I tithe off my net income, or does it have to be off my gross? And I say, if you're going to tithe, be gross about it. <laughs> if you're splitting hairs there, realize you cannot outgive God. You just can't do it. Now, that's a scary thing. It's a scary thought. Can I outgive God? Is anybody really willing to give that a test? I'm going to start giving 50% of everything He gives me and see what happens. Anyone willing to do that? Show of hands. <laughs> we, we shudder to think about doing something like that. But the Lord says, I'll take care of you if you seek first the kingdom and, and my righteousness. So you've got the people robbing God of both offerings, gifts of any amount, and tithes, a tenth part. <laughs> By the way, other people will say, can I tithe in two different areas? Can I take my 10%? Can I designate 10% of my income and give 2% to the church and 3% to this missionary organization and and 4% to Compassion International? Can I do it that way? Well, you can do whatever you want. Okay? But please understand this. First of all, it's not your tithe. Can I divide up my tithe? It's wrong thinking. It's not yours. Secondly... If I decide where the giving is going, I nullify the faith aspect of tithing. Now you may not have intended to do that, but if I designate where it goes, faith is not the issue. Charity is the issue. And that's wonderful. Please don't get me wrong, it is glorious to give. It's wonderful. to, to we, we have opportunities to, to support compassion children. You know, we have our homeless ministry. We even have a giving tree out there. Those things are one. You can do these things. And we encourage generosity. I think generosity is a part of grace. But if you are designating some aspect or part or all of your tithe to different areas, it's not a tithe by faith anymore. It's just you being generous. And there is a difference. Okay, so wait a minute. You're saying that I give 10%. The church, and I'm just supposed to trust some church leader to take care of it? Yep. That's exactly what I'm saying. Well, I'm not sure I trust all those guys. You think God is unaware of where the money's going? In fact, if you ever get concerned about church leadership and their and their giving and how they take care of what is put in the tithe boxes, remember Ananias and Sapphira? Acts chapter 5, read the story. The Lord knows where your money is and where it's going. And He knows where every dime put in the offerings to the Bridge Fellowship goes. He knows. And I promise you, and it makes me shudder, but I promise you, He will call to account every financial decision made in this church. You don't have to. That's not even your concern. Or my concern as someone giving here at the Bridge. My concern is, do I trust the Lord by faith? That's the issue of tithing. But they're robbing God in terms of their tithes and offerings. Now, again, I'm not not telling you to give because you trust the church leaders so much. I hope you do. I hope we've got some good guys. I think we do. But you don't give because the shepherds in this fellowship are the shiniest coins in the purse. You know, again, because, oh, they all have MBAs, you know. These these guys are sharp, marketplace, financial, experienced guys. I mean, they know what they're doing. Some are. Many of us are not. Some are are very sharp when it comes to figuring out the the stewardship side of things, and and others don't have a clue. But I'll tell you what, I'll take less dams over less Schwab any day of the week. I would rather pray with less than crunch the numbers. Amen. So why should I let someone else decide where my—I'm uh, uh, sorry—where God's money goes? Because tithing again is an issue of faith, not charity. Let me make this clear again. We have a giving tree out here in the foyer. This is Leslie's idea this year. She has a huge heart. I, I love her. She, she just wants to—she wants to bless everybody. And so she had this great idea, the giving tree. We set it up out there. I want you to understand, that is a wonderful, generous, charitable opportunity. It is not tithing. It is not your gifts and offerings to the Lord. It's your gifts to other people in the body. And that's okay. That's great. But it's not tithing. Bible makes a clear difference. Let's understand the commanded tithes and offerings in the law of Moses a little bit. There were three specific areas where the tithes went. God commanded annual tithes, that is 10%. He commanded festival tithes, another 10% for certain festivals when the people showed up. And he commanded third year tithes, every third year there was an additional tithe that went into it along with the sacrifices of the people that they had to bring up to Jerusalem for the different ceremonies and numerous other opportunities within Israel to give, it all added up to an average of 23% of their annual income, not 10%. Israel was called by God in the system that He set up to give 23% minimum to the temple, to the work of the Lord, and to the people in general. And according to Deuteronomy 18 verse 4, tithing was to be considered first fruits. That means it was the first and the best of what they had. That's given first and the rest then they were to live on. In the simple tithe, this whole idea of of ten percenting, the Lord says, I will bless you. You keep ninety percent of my blessing and give me back ten. I don't want to give you back ten. It's my blessing in the first place. You keep 90%. And then you, you give me 10 well, Why? Why do I have to do that, Lord? And it's to keep our perspective on faith. It's so that as we pay our other bills and we walk through life with that 90%, we're always thinking, we're always reminded with every bill we write, we're reminded, huh, I have this because God gave it to me. Not because I happen to work extra hard this week. This is a blessing of the Lord that I get to live on. Faith is the issue. The beauty was that for every Israelite, they gave the exact same thing. Same percentage. Didn't matter if you were rich or poor. Didn't matter if you had great land holdings or very little. Whether you had 40 acres or, four, or a 4x4 four four home garden. Whether you had a thousand cattle or just 10. Whether he made 5,000 shekels a year or 500,000 shekels a year did not matter. Everybody gave the exact same amount by percentage. It was God's flat tax. 10% for everybody. Actually in Israel, 23%. For everybody. So everybody's in the same exact place. Let me just ask you this. I'm going to throw it out there because I need to throw out a little bit of guilt this morning or I will not have done my job. (laughs) Is it fair pure fairness that there are some people in this fellowship that tithe and go way beyond that and others who give nothing. Is that fair? I mean, by the standards of fairness, no, it's not. I'm not saying that so you walk around feeling guilty, but the truth is God said, let me just make it easy for you. If everybody gives the same amount, that would not be fair. If God said on an annual basis, I want everybody to give at least $500, well, if you made $1,000 that year, that would be tough. That would be half of everything that you made. So God says, let's not play that game. 10%. And then it's the same across the board. And yet, the reality is in most churches, and I don't know in our church because I don't know what people give. Thank you, Lord. Jesus for that one. I don't know. But the reality in most churches is a small percentage of people give most of the money while the rest of the people don't give much at all. Frankly, frankly, I'm not concerned about what goes into the boxes in terms of church finance. What I am concerned about, and what the Lord calls each one of us to be concerned about, is our own personal faith. And as pastor in this fellowship, I have a concern for your faith. Which is why we're talking about this in the first place. If you don't get anything else this morning, understand, tithing is a faith issue. It is about your faith. And if you have an argument about that, don't argue with me. You argue with the Lord because He's the one who set it up that way. It's a faith issue. It is a faith issue. Did I say it was a faith issue? Okay, just want to be clear. Nehemiah chapter 13 verse 10. Nehemiah in the days of Malachi had discovered what was going on. He says the portions of the Levites had not been given And the Levites and the singers who performed the service had gone away each to his own field. So I reprimanded the officials and I said, why is the house of God forsaken? And then I gathered them together and restored them, that is the priests, restored them to their post. And all Judah then brought the tithe of the grain, the wine, and the oil into the storehouses. Please understand, when Malachi comes on the scene talking about tithes and offerings, times were hard. You could say their economic recovery was sluggish. And most probably thought, we just can't afford to tithe. Don't raise your hand. I'll tell you what, I'll just raise my hand. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've had that exact same thought. I just can't afford to tithe. I can't afford it, Lord. And as a matter of fact, and I will confess to you, there are times where I'm sitting there about to write the check, and what goes through my head is exactly this. Your gloriously faithful pastor thinks to himself, wow, I could really use this right now. And I always invariably hear the Lord say, go ahead. That's fine. You can use that. But, you know, if you want to rely on yourself, go ahead. Or you can rely on me to take care of it. Your call. I go through that process often. That's how I know tithing is a faith issue more than anything else. I can't afford to tithe. The Lord says, by my reckoning, you can't afford not to. Look at verse 9. How many of you love the book of Malachi so far? Just wondering. Verse 9, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. You can read that one of two ways. You can read that God angry, pointing a finger, you're cursed with a curse. Curse you for not tithing to me. Or you can read it as an actual fact. You're cursed here. Because of what you're doing, you are cursing yourselves. You are bringing hardship on yourself. You see, their thinking was messed up in Judah at the time. They weren't thinking, they weren't tithing because things weren't going well, and the Lord says things aren't going well because you're not tithing. It's the opposite of what you think. Translation for tithing, trusting. Trusting. Things are not going well because you're not trusting me. You're trusting in yourselves. And look at what's going on. Deuteronomy 28, verse 15. Moses said, It shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe to do all His commandments and His statutes with which I charge you today that all these curses will come upon you and will overtake you. And among those commandments were the commands in Israel, the Mosaic legal commands to tithe. And recognize that when when the Lord says you're cursed every one of you, He's talking from a legal perspective. They're not doing what they said they would do. The people accepted the law and the covenant. They received it from the Lord. They said, yes, Lord, we accept this. And then they didn't do it. So there was a violation legally going on. It's different in the church today, and and I'll get to that. But in those days, they were under curse because they were not keeping their part of the covenant. You may recall this when we are reading Haggai chapter 1 verse 6. The Lord says, You've sown much, but you harvest little. You eat, but not to be satisfied. You drink, but not to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one's warm. He who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Might there perhaps be a connection between solvency and sanctification? Wait, Rick, so you're saying if I'm struggling financially, all I have to do is give and it'll all get better? No, I'm not. Don't hold me to that. Rick, I started tithing two weeks ago and I lost everything. Okay, so are you still alive? Are you still here? Did you have something to eat today? You have clothes to wear today? You have a place to rest your head tonight? And by the way, if it's no to any of those things, please see me or Brian and we will make sure you do. What I'm saying is the Lord promised to provide all we need. Not all we want, but all we need. If we will seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. It means putting the kingdom ahead of self. And it means seeking his righteousness before I seek out Wells Fargo or Bank of America. <laughs> or the full faith and credit of the United States Treasury. Which I believe right now is mostly air. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 9 verse 6, Paul says, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And by the way, that is a New Testament promise. That's not Old Testament. If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one, just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. I've told you before that word cheerful, great word. It's hilarion in the Greek. That's where we get the word hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. God loves the one who, as they're dropping the check into the box, is going, "Hoo hoo Yeah! Wouldn't that just be hilarious? If somebody did that. I can't wait to get to church and put the... Yes! Dancing a little jig. What are you doing, man? I'm hilarious! Don't be weird on me. Enough of that going around. God loves a cheerful giver. Someone who's joyful in it. Someone who says, Yes, I know when I'm... I, man, I trust the Lord in this. And by the way, when you give to the Lord, it should be an act of worship. Amen. A joyful time where you're going, as I'm letting go of this, I know, I don't know how, but I know you're going you're to take care of things. One way or the other, I know you got me. You see, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. And I'll tell you this much, tithing, and I'm talking, yes, 10%ing, can put a measure of peace into your heart, financially, like nothing else. It's the best financial advice I can give for a marriage where there is conflict over money husbands and wives, please hear me on this. the key to calming marital conflict over coinage and cash. start tithing. as husband and wife determined together to start tithing. We can't possibly afford to, Pastor Rick, you don't understand. No, I, you're right. I don't know what your financial situation is, but he does. Well, why should we start tithing when we're struggling financially? Because it submits the almighty dollar to the almighty God. It forces you into a position where you have to trust Him rather than yourself to get out of the mess that you may or may not be in. Faith. Verse 10. The Lord says to Israel... And I do recognize he's speaking to Judah. Bring the whole tithe, not part of the tithe, not the partial tithe. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. The storehouse was the temple. God set the pattern, I believe, right there. Bring it to the temple that it might be distributed out from there. What if the priests are crooked? Doesn't matter. We already saw that they were crooked. That was not the issue. God will deal with the priests. The issue is you. People of Judah. The issue is you, individual, bring the whole type into the storehouse. Bring it there to the temple. And we see the same principle applied by the apostles to the church. That they saw that as that's a that's a great principle to follow. Not a legal command, but a great principle. First Corinthians sixteen verse one, Paul says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the Church of Galatia, so do all so do you also. On the first day of every week. Each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send with them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. In the first century church, everybody brought it the first day of the week, they gave their offerings, they collected it all together, Paul shows up, they put it all together in a bundle and they sent it off to Jerusalem and it was distributed from there. where did they get that idea? Bring it to the storehouse bring it to the temple to be distributed from there. It was a collection for distribution and understand, once it was given by the people, it was hands off. Bring it and leave it. That's tithing. That's faith. You don't sit there and worry about how it's being spent. You don't sit there and look and go, did they buy that sound system with my money? My response would be, no. They bought that sound system with God's money. Turning your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 6. One book over. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 1. Jesus is midway through the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about the citizenship of the kingdom, how people of the kingdom will function and how we can function right now, should we choose to. Verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them, otherwise you will have no reward with your Father in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor... Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. By the way, that's part of the reason we don't pass plates. Because we just don't want it to be a visible thing where people can see what you drop in there or where you can flick the bottom of the plate and make it sound like you did drop something in there. (laughs) I grew up in church. I know all the tricks. But this whole idea of determining to give, and please hear me on this, whatever your response is to what the Lord teaches you this morning, is between you and Him. You will not be getting a phone call from any leader in this church going, well, what's your decision? I happen to know that there are a couple of local churches that are doing that right now. Calling people because they signed up for automatic withdrawal and... and calling to make sure that they are doing what they committed to do and following up and following through and and there are some churches that require that you you sign up you sign a covenant to join that church and you got to pay 10 percent, and they're going to keep your pace i mean the whole thing is just nuts it's none of my business but it is god's business and to me that puts a greater weight of authority than if every single shepherd at the bridge knew what you gave personally because god does and Jesus says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Man, when you give, you give and you don't, no one else needs to see it. Bring it to the storehouse that his work might continue. The Lord says through Malachi to overflow. Back in Malachi, verse 10, this is the time and so interesting to me. The Lord says, now test me in this. That is rare. It's extremely rare. Usually testing God is completely frowned upon. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy to the devil when he was in the wilderness. Deuteronomy 6, verse 16, he quotes in Matthew chapter 4, verse 7, and he says to the devil, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So in Deuteronomy 6, verse 16, the Lord told Israel, don't test me. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. But right here he says, test me in this. In this absolutely rare and unique moment in scripture, God says, it's okay. Go ahead. Test me. <laughs> I could find only one other time, by the way, in the entire Bible where God said, test me. Just one. Wanna know where it is? Isaiah chapter 7 verse 12. The Lord spoke to Ahaz saying, ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it as deep as Sheol or as high as the heaven. But King Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. And then he said, Listen now. The Lord said, Listen now, O house of David. Is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of God as well? Therefore, the Lord will give you a sign. Ahaz wouldn't ask for a sign. Why? Religion. Oh, I won't do that, Lord. The Lord said, Do it. And Ahaz said, No. That would be against my religion. The Lord's like, I thought I was the one who started that whole thing. (laughs) Isn't that my call? And so the Lord said, I'll give you a sign. Here's the sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and will bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. You want a sign? There's your sign. God says to Ahaz, here's your sign. And it was the greatest gift ever given. And that's the only other time in Scripture where God says, test me now in this. There and here. By the way, how was the follow-through on God's sign to Ahaz? How'd that work out? Pretty good. Okay, did what He said He would do. Remarkable, amazing. The Lord says, test me in the tithe. And I say, what if I start tithing and I can't pay my bills? 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 9 tells us God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ our lord do you believe it really god is faithful do you trust him i mean totally numbers 2319 god is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he should repent has he said and will he not do it or has he spoken and will he not make good Test me," says the Lord. Now nah, I better not. <laughs> I just—it's—it's mean, it's, it's the holiday season, right? And I got things I got to cover here. So, well, maybe maybe I'll test the Lord in January. No taxes. Maybe I'll wait until after April. Yeah, we'll see how the summers go. Oh no, there's vacation. I have summer vacation coming. Next fall, that'd be a good time. I'll get back to you in October, Lord. Do you trust Him? Four promises of the Lord stand out here. Beginning in verse 10, He says, Test me in this. See, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Promise number one, the Lord promised Israel He would rain down prosperity. If you'll trust Me, it'll overflow. That's not prosperity gospel. I am not a proponent of the prosperity gospel. But I have seen this principle in action. And I have experienced in my life Times where I said, I can't afford to do this, but I'm going to trust you in it anyway, Lord, and He provides what is needed, and oftentimes to the penny. Many of you have experienced that yourselves. The Lord says, I'll take care of it. Now, if you say, what if I faithfully tithe and suddenly everything goes south and I'm not overwhelmed with blessing, I find myself struggling more immediately than I was before. You may. That's a possibility. But again, I would ask you, did you eat today? Do you have clothing to wear? And I hope if you come to meet with me and you don't have clothing to wear, you don't come to meet with me. <laughs> Secondly, I would say, if you began tithing and suddenly things got really tight, God must be doing a mighty work in you. God must be increasing your faith for something big. That's awesome. And God is going to see you through. See, we want to know immediate results. I want to drop the check in the box and the next day I want to see an increase. I want to see everything okay. And the Lord says, that's not how faith works. Faith works this way. You trust me and then you walk for a while with me and see where I go. See what I do. And I may not do it for you immediately. But if you're trusting me, you'll see it. And I will. This month, this year, this season may be tight, but the Lord has not forgotten you. Faith and faithfulness is a lifelong, long haul proposition. That's the way God thinks. It's different from how I think often. But some of my greatest faith development came from learning to trust God in my lack as well as in my plenty. And I think most of us have had some of both. We've had times where it was all good, and we've had other times where it was not. And Paul says in Philippians 4.12, I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. He says, I can do all things because I'm strong, because I'm a good steward, and because I know how to handle life. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it is a statement of faith. What if I start tithing and I get hit by some big un- unexpected expenditure? A-, a car repair? A hospital bill? Look at the next verse, verse 11. The Lord says, Test me out now in this, I'll pour out from you a blessing till it overflows. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not devour the fruits of the ground. You know what that means? God says, you know, I will take care of things in a way you can't even imagine. You start tithing, I'm going to make sure the locusts don't come. And what I began to realize over the years is there were things, uh, there have been protections in my life that I didn't even know God was doing, and many that I discovered after the fact that He was. Like when we had a, uh, we had an old Ford Windstar, we were driving around, and it started making noise, and, and it was Cheryl's car. She was the one driving it, you know. Started was trying to make a noise and I took it in. The guy goes, um, your oil tank is like bone dry. <laughs> really? And I'm like, this is my wife's car. <laughs> it was totally my fault. I had just spaced it. I hadn't followed it up. I hadn't taken care of it. That car should have burned up on the road. It didn't. They filled it up and off we went. and It worked fine. And I would submit to you that the devourer did not come that day. Though it should have. How do you know but that you're driving down the road and you would have had a flat tire, but God said, no, 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 we're going we're to take care of that because I know where they're at financially right now and I don't want that to be a burden. I'm going to rebuke the devourer. And so there are those things that come up in our lives where God says, I'm going to step in and, and protect you against those financial hits. And you may or may not know that those hits were going to come. I'm going to protect you of this. I will rebuke the pestilence. He goes on from there. He says, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes. The idea is the grapes falling before they're ready to harvest, before they're good. And they fall off early. And what the Lord's saying there is not only does He he promise to rebuke the pestilence and to rain down prosperity, He promises He's going to renew their productivity. And they were struggling at the time in Judah. And he says, listen, trust me, tithe. I will renew this. Your your vines will bear good fruit and it won't fall off too soon. Again, this is directed at Israel, but please hear, there's a great parallel for the church here. Obedience in tithing produced, guaranteed a good harvest. We talk an awful lot here at the Bridge Fellowship about evangelism, about sharing Jesus with other people. You want to guarantee a good harvest for the kingdom? Get involved with tithing. Let's put our money where our faith is. And let's say together, as a body, as a collective group of people, we're going we're to seek the kingdom first, because we know God wants to save people and bring them into the kingdom. And in Israel He said, if you will tithe, I will increase your harvest. Perhaps part of the reason the Lord is moving slowly and increasing a harvest is because the people don't tithe. And he's waiting for a people to trust him before he starts bringing newbies into the fold. Second Corinthians 9 verse 10, Paul said, "Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Like Jesus, we can say, our food is to do the will of him who sent us." John 4:34. Look at verse 12. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Here's the fourth promise. The Lord promised Israel He would restore national prominence. If you will trust Me in your giving, in your tithing, in your offering, if you will do it My way instead of your way, the nations surrounding you will call you blessed. They will look at you and say, the Lord's doing something there. And I truly believe if we trust the Lord in our giving, in our offerings, in our tithing, people will wonder about the bridge. They will not wonder at our wealth, but at the state of our blessedness and our trust in the Lord God. He says He'll do that. It recalls to me that, that other verse of Jesus on the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5.16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I thought we were talking about giving, Rick. We are. The light shines brighter when the heart is right. And our response to the Lord in giving is a heart issue. It's a faith issue. It's a trust issue. All right, so let's get down to it. Should Christians tithe? Because Rick, I see it as an Old Testament thing. Should Christians tithe? Should ten percent be the standard of giving for a follower of Jesus Christ? And my response is, I think that's a great place to start. To start? What? You mean you're you're, you're we we should give more? Well, that's between you and the Lord. But I think it's a great place to begin. And I have heard, trust me, I have heard all of the arguments against tithing. I've heard them. It was the law of Moses and we're under grace. Okay, Both Abraham and Jacob determined to tithe to the Lord and they were pre-law. I don't think they were pre-med, but I know they were (laughs) pre-law. Abraham in Genesis 14.20. Jacob in Genesis 28.22 said, I'm going to give a tithe of all I have to the Lord. Abraham actually gave it to Melchizedek. Well, that's another sermon for another time. We'll get there. Hebrews, we'll get there. <laughs> Jacob said to the Lord, I will give you a tenth of all I have. That wasn't part of the law. That was a decision of the heart that Jacob made. Pre-law. And post-law, Jesus said, Luke eleven forty-two, 42, Woe to you Pharisees! You pay a tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb. In other words, you're tithing down to the nth degree. You're keeping the tithe perfectly, yet you disregard justice and the love of God. Now, if we stop right there, we could go, oh, well, then God doesn't want us to tithe. He just wants us to love people. Cool, I'm good with that. But Jesus didn't stop there. He went on and said, these are the things you should have done without neglecting the other. Jesus never once negated the action of tithing. In fact, He endorsed it. You should do that and this. You should be loving and compassionate and generous and give the tithe. It's not either or, it's both and. Now I've heard people ask, well, yeah, but if you require tithing, you encourage legalism. Did anyone hear me say tithing is required? Did I say that? I think it's a great idea. I think it's a beautiful principle. I think it's a healthy place to begin in really forcing myself to trust in the Lord. But I never said required. G. Campbell Morgan said, we pray, open the windows of heaven and pour us out a blessing. And God replies, bring the tithe. It is as though God said to you, it is up to you to open the windows. What? What? The windows of heaven? Yes. Heaven's windows always swing upon love's hinges. I really like that. Heaven's windows swing upon love's hinges. They open to the degree that we're willing to trust the Lord in faith and in love. G. Campbell Morgan goes on to say the truly radical application of that idea is this. It is not the tithe that God asks of you. It's everything. Tithing, gang, is a pittance compared to what God is really asking of you and of me. And I come back to the question I asked as we began. Why would we argue the point? Why would we sit down with the Lord and say, Well, I think tithing is this, or I think tithing is that, or I don't think I should tithe, or I don't think I should be required The second we enter into a combative stance with the Lord about our giving, we got a heart issue going on. And we gotta deal with that. And the only reason I'm willing to sit up here and talk about money with you this morning is not because I've got it all down. I don't. It is because the Lord is trying to tap each and every one of our hearts. He's trying to work in our faith. And note what happens. Verse 13, Your words have been arrogant against Me, says the Lord. Yet you say, What have we spoken against you? And you have said, It is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept His charge? What good is tithing? What good is giving It's vain. It doesn't do me any good at all. That's what the people were saying. And that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts. My life has been hard. Why should I even start to give to God or the church? That's what they were saying in Judah. And in verse 15, so now we call the arrogant blessed. Not only are the doers of wickedness built up Now they also test God and escape. We refuse to test God because we are such good religious folk. And at the same time, not only will we not test Him, we just won't trust Him. There's no profit in the tithe for me. His way doesn't work. The wicked have it better. You see how twisted a lack of faith becomes? That's where the mind goes when faith is not introduced into the heart. It becomes convoluted and complex and confusing. And there's a simple answer to all of this. Just do it God's way. You cannot deny, whether you think it's an Old Testament principle or not, you cannot deny the principle of tithing is presented in Scripture as a healthy way to trust the Lord with your finances. So do it God's way. Not as a requirement but recognizing that God gave the greatest gift He could possibly have given. Wrapped up in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger, God gave His whole self. All that He was, all that He is, He has given. And He says to you and says to me, how much do you trust me? How much of yourself are you willing to give to me? Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift.